morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Monday, July the 4th, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. The World Food Program warns that a combination of factors, including conflict, climate change, and skyrocketing prices, are threatening stability in Africa's Sahel region. Even before the conflict in Ukraine drove up the global prices of food, fuel, and fertilizer, we were forced to cut rations by up to 50% in all of the Sahelian countries, as well as in Nigeria, CAR, and our emergency nutrition programs are also underfunded. Ugandan opposition leader Dr. Chiza Besije is released on bail and vows to continue his protest against rising commodity prices in the country. We shall not turn back. Let's not fear the prisons that they are threatening us with. The prisons are nothing. You can keep me in prison, but I will not give up what right I have to fight for. And the government of Malawi is asking hospitals in the country to stop demanding a police report from victims of accidents and physical assaults before they access medical help. We'll have those stories plus sports coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, the World Food Program warns conflict, climate change, COVID-19, and skyrocketing food prices, fuel, and fertilizer are further threatening stability and development prospects in Africa's Sahel region. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. WFE warns a wave of hunger and suffering is sweeping across part of the Sahel, driving people to the brink of desperation and upending years of development gains. The agency reports 12.7 million people are acutely hungry, including 1.4 million on the verge of starvation. It says 6 million children are acutely malnourished, making them vulnerable to disease and even death if they do not receive treatment for their condition. Alexandre Lecusia is WFP Senior Emergency Preparedness and Response Advisor for West Africa. Speaking from Dakar in Senegal, he warns the number of people suffering from acute hunger and the number of malnourished children is likely to rise during the current lean season when food stocks are at their lowest. What we see is that acute hunger is uh, driven primarily by conflict that will continue to trigger massive population displacements and the violence is often preventing people from accessing markets, fields or humanitarian assistance. The region also bears the consequence of a climatic shock with very, very poor rains in 2021, one of the worst in the last 40 years. Lucusia says the conflict in Ukraine has driven up food and energy prices. He adds it also has led to shortages of fertilizer needed for the planting season, which is now over. He notes less than half of the region's fertilizer needs have been met. This, he says, could result in a 20% drop in agricultural production in the region this year further increasing the levels of hunger. He says needs in the region are at record highs at a time when resources to respond to emergencies are dwindling. He says a lack of money is forcing WFP to reduce the number of people receiving assistance and to cut rations for the remaining beneficiaries. Even before the conflict in Ukraine drove up the global prices of food, fuel and fertilizer, we were forced to cut rations by up to 50% in all of the Sahelian countries, as well as in Nigeria, CAR, and our emergency nutrition programs 
are also underfunded, which combined to the cuts I was mentioning on our food rations is going to put a lot of stress on what little resources the poorest families have left. Lucuzia says WFP requires $329 million in the next six months for its life-saving operation and to prevent the Sahel from becoming what it calls an all-out humanitarian catastrophe. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Ugandan opposition leader Dr. Chiza Besige has been released on bail and vows to continue protests against rising commodity prices. Some analysts say that Besige's views represent a consensus among the public. Reporter Mugume Davis Rwakarenji reports from Kampala, Uganda. Ugandan opposition leader, retired Colonel Chiza Besige, was released on Friday after spending two weeks in jail on accusations of inciting violence. BSJ had earlier been denied bail because the judge reasoned that there was no guarantee he would not be arrested on the same charges. The presiding judge warned BSJ not to use courts of law to further his political views, but on Friday he was granted temporary freedom after the judge said he was satisfied that those royalties are substantial. BSJ was ordered to pay $800 cash bail. Speaking after release, BSJ said he will continue demand the government intervene and help curtail soil inflation rates in the country. We shall not turn back. Let's not fear the prisons that they are threatening us with. The prisons are nothing. You can keep me in prison, but I will not give up what right I have to fight for. And all Ugandans must be prepared. BSJ, a four-time presidential candidate, has suggested the government reduce some taxes. He also says authorities must reduce exorbitant expenditures and eradicate corruption. Activist Sarah Virete, the head of NGO Center for Constitutional Governance, says business protests are justified. Many more people would have loved to demonstrate against had it not been for the violence and brutality and, 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 the, and the state machinery that is unleashed to people who try to exercise their constitutional rights to protest and demonstrate peacefully. BSJ said it will be a matter of time before other Ugandans join him like arts teachers who have been on strike for close to a month. Only few get everything while everybody else is going down. That's the source of the crisis. The teachers should not see themselves as different from all other Ugandans who are suffering. There are those who cannot strike. The policemen... The army men. The government blames the ongoing war in Ukraine and the effects of COVID-19 pandemic for the spike in commodity prices. For VOA News, I am Ogume, Davis Rwakarindi in Kampala, Uganda. The Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, has lifted economic and financial sanctions imposed on Mali after its military rulers proposed a 24-month transition to democracy and published a new electoral law. The West African Economic Bloc imposed sanctions on Mali in January after the junta rescinded earlier plans to organize democratic elections in the country. A member of Mali's M5 RFP movement, a coalition that led protests demanding the resignation of former President Ibrahim Boubacar Keita, says that the group welcomes the decision by ECOWAS. Ramata Sisoko Sisi says the group have maintained all along that the sanctions were illegal and should never have been imposed in the first place. Sisi tells VOS James Batty that Mali's civil society has been working with the government to bring democracy back to the country. 
my first reaction is that we are very thrilled. We are very happy. We've been expecting this for a long time because we said from the first go that these sanctions were illegal. These sanctions were not supposed to be uh, even voted in the first place by ECOWAS. It's not in the rules or none, none of the regulations of ECOWAS. So to lift these uh, sanctions that made many people suffer is a joy for the whole Malian and African people. What about the decision that ECOWAS prefers 24 months for political transition. Are you in favor of that? Well, we think that the Malian people will be the one determining that. But because we are part of a community and we understand the concern of other countries to avoid military takeover in these countries, discouraging Mali to have this transition for a long time and keep it for 24 months, we had a lot of discussions about it. And the government finally understand that we need to agree on something so we can move on. That's why we are satisfied with the 24-month transition time for this government. I know in Guinea, the civil society and the military junta there have been coordinating their strategy in terms of uh, how they deal with ECOWAS. What has been the uh, relationship between the Malian civil society and the military junta there. I know prior to the military takeover, your group were leading protests against the former president. What has been the cooperation? I mean, we have a good relationship with the OKOWAS as an organization, not necessarily with the people who are leading in, who are um, distancing away themselves away from their own people's views on how the OKOWAS should act in the continent. We believe the ECOWAS is an economical um, um, organization. It should be lifting up people. It should not be punishing people. It should not be put up sanctions, sanctions on people. So at this point, the Malian youth specifically is really reluctant about the ECOWAS, right? So we need to make sure we change the way ECOWAS acts in the region so that it can have a future in the continent. The civil society and the government are working hands on end, hands to make sure we work together to keep this transition very determined to make sure we bring back democracy in Mali, which is the concern of ECOWAS or international community. They think that because of this military regime that there's not going to be any democracy. We don't think this way anyway in the Malian community. We think that these military are bringing back the kind of governance we are fighting the former uh, regime. So we are thinking that we are on the right track to bring back what we always believe we can have, which is, we said, the Mali Kura, the new Mali, the new vision of the, uh, the, this new country. Dr. Cizé, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you very much for having me. That was Dr. Ramata Sisoko Cizé, president of the Change in Mali movement. She was speaking with VOS James Bati from Lawrenceville, Georgia. In Sudan, hundreds of protesters took to the streets in the capital Khartoum on Sunday for a fourth day of protests calling for democratic reforms in the country. Reports say that at least 10 people were killed by security forces during rallies earlier in the week as protesters were met with a heavy deployment of security forces, including from the army and the Rapid Support Forces militia. Debrick Africa continues, as Kenya heads towards a highly contested presidential election, many are worried about a repeat of deadly violence seen in past votes. 
The Kenyan group Mothers of Victims and Survivors is calling for all sides to maintain peace during this year's polls. Juma Majanga reports from the Kenyan capital in Nairobi. Bena Buluma, also known as Mama Victor, is clutching photos of her two deceased sons at her makeshift home in the Madare section of Nairobi. Election time brings painful memories to the 48-year-old widow. On August 9, 2017, her sons Bernard and Victor Okoth, both young men, were shot dead following a police crackdown on election protests in the area just a day after the presidential polls. Five years later, the killers still have not been held accountable. If it was my sons who had killed someone on the road, they would have been arrested, says Buluma as she finds back tears. But the police who killed my sons have not been arrested to death, she says. And that's what pains me the most. I ask myself, why, she adds. They are all human beings, and the law should serve everyone equally. Madari, one of the biggest slums in Africa, with some of the most densely populated poor neighborhoods in Nairobi, has remained a constant hotspot of election violence. Mary Ann Casina is the co-founder of Social Justice Center, an organization that advocates for social justice in Nairobi. Every time we have elections, they know what is our issues, but they have not actualized. So bringing your manifesto to say that you bring water, you do this, then it just brings horizontal violence because you're already living in a, in a poor... It's already... It's violence. It is violence. Living in it, you know? Mama Victor founded the group Mothers of Victims and Survivors Network to help families seek justice. The group is urging election authorities and participants in the August presidential election to refrain from violence. We want a peaceful election, she says. And that's not all. We, as mothers of victims, we want justice for our children and compensation, she adds. The Kenyan police has been accused of using excessive force in handling past election-related protests. With just over a month to the general elections, the National Police Service says it is prepared to provide a secure environment for the polls to run peacefully. In a statement to VOA, police spokesperson Bruno Schioso said steps have been taken to improve security, including new election security training and additional equipment for officers. Past elections in Kenya have been manned by deadly violence. In the most notorious incident, more than 1,100 people were killed in riots and attacks after the disputed 2007 vote. But as the clock ticks towards this year's balloting, observers are cautiously optimistic that the polls will be peaceful. Juma Majanga for VA News, Nairobi. The World Health Organization is expressing concern over the spread of monkeypox in African countries with no previous transmission. Addressing the media reports, the WHO's Regional Director for Africa, Machindiso Moeti, says that Africa has reported 1,821 cases in 13 countries with 109 laboratory cases confirmed in nine others. Moreno Jambo has more on this story. 
In Africa, monkeypox has been reported in three countries that have not previously had any human cases. Ghana, Morocco and South Africa have reported transmission among people who have had no history of travel outside their countries. Mashidiso Moet is the WHO's regional director for Africa. According to the latest available information, it appears that the two cases in South Africa, for example, are not linked to any history of travel. This is a concern because South Africa is geographically quite distant from countries with a history of monkeypox transmission. Monkeypox does not yet constitute a public health emergency of international concern or a fake at this time. However, we are aware that tracking the spread of the virus remains critical. Moet says that the biggest burden of monkeypox cases is in the Democratic Republic of Congo in Nigeria, which accounts for 92% of suspected cases. The DRC has reported testing challenges as it recorded a high number of deaths with no clear indication if they are due to the virus or not. The number of confirmed monkeypox cases in Africa accounts for 2% of the more than 4,500 confirmed cases globally. It's not clear to health specialists how the current spread of the virus to humans began. Oyewale Tomori is a virologist and a member of the Global Virum Project Leadership Board, which includes experts in pandemic prevention. In terms of what has happened in Europe, of course it was unusual because this has been going on for almost 50 years in Africa and we didn't see the kind of popping up in different places. But of course, now that you study the epidemiology, you can understand and explain what is happening in Europe. And I think that's a point I think we need to also focus on in our region, on finding out the, the source, without finding out the source of the infection. Moet says Africa should not face vaccine inequality in the fight against monkeypox as it did in the early days of the COVID-19 vaccine rollout when the region was sidelined. The WHO official also highlighted the achievements by many African countries in administering the COVID-19 vaccines. The end of June 2022 marks a 16-month milestone in the implementation of COVID-19 vaccination in the African region. Despite their late arrival in Africa and massively unequal global supply chains, many countries have achieved commendable levels of coverage with nearly half of all health workers and people aged 60 years and older now fully vaccinated in 31 African countries. Two WHO Africa region countries, Mauritius and Seychelles, have also achieved the ambitious 70% overall coverage target set by WHO. In the past few weeks, monkeypox has been reported in many European countries and North America. These are regions where the virus is not normally found. The WHO's Director General Tedros Ghebreyesus is calling for countries working to curtail the virus to take a swift action to ensure community surveillance, improve diagnostic and public health measures, including contact tracing and isolation. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Maureen Ojiambo in Sacramento, California. You're listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. The government in Malawi has asked hospitals in the country to stop demanding a police report from victims of accidents and physical assaults to access medical help. The Malawi Minister of Health says that this practice is discriminatory and violates people's rights to access medical assistance. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. Hospitals in Malawi have long required a police report from patients with injuries resulting from accidents or physical assaults. Some patients complain of being denied access 
to medical help because of the lack of a police report, a document which details names of the patient and circumstances of their injuries. The ministry says in a statement copied to the Medical Council of Malawi and the Office of the Attorney General and the Malawi Police Service that the requirement endangers the lives of people in need of medical assistance. George Jobe, Executive Director for the Malawi Health Equity Network, agrees. The misunderstanding of the requirement for a police report has led to disabilities of people because of delayed treatment at health facilities and we believe some might have also lost lives. So this should bring sanity in our facilities so that when one is presented at a facility either injured or sick arising from assault, accidents must be assisted to save their life first. According to the Minister of Health, the need for a police report contravenes medical ethics which requires medical workers to help all sick and injured people without any discrimination. It also says that those involved in accidents are duty bound to report the incident to the police within 48 hours. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. And now it's time for Daybreak Africa Sports. We go to Abuja, Nigeria with Samson O'Malley. Good morning to you, Samson. Good Monday morning to you too, Jackson. We begin the sports with the Women African Cup of Nations, which got underway on Saturday in Morocco. Host Morocco got their 2022 Women's African Cup of Nations campaign off to a winning start with a hard-fought 1-0 win over gallant Burkina Faso at the Prince Mole Abdella Sports Complex. Wistful Cameroon squandered a myriad of opportunities as they were held to a goalless draw by Zambia in their opening game in Casablanca on Sunday. In other results, Senegal won a first-ever game at the Women's African Cup of Nations finals, beating Uganda 2-0 in their opening Group A match in Rabat also on Sunday. It puts Senegal, who lost all three games when they competed previously at the 2012 finals, top of the table ahead of host Morocco, who won the tournament's opening game on Saturday when they edged Burkina Faso 1-0. Tunisia took only 20 seconds to score the fastest goal in Women's African Cup of Nations history and went on to record a handsome 4-1 win over 10-man Togo in the third of Sunday's matches at the tournament in Morocco. In today's fixtures, the Super Falcons of Nigeria will meet perennial rivals Banyana Banyana of South Africa at the start Prince Mole Al-Hassan, while the late kickoff will see Burundi women play Botswana. Staying with the Women African Cup of Nations, President of the Confederation of African Football, Dr. Patrice Musepi, has announced an increase of 150% in prize money for the women's tournament in Morocco. President of CAF made the announcement at a press conference on Sunday. We are all here in uh, Morocco and we've increased the prize money for the, for the whole of the women's AFCON. It's part of the commitments I made to significantly uplift the quality and the standard of women's football, to significantly uplift and develop the quality and standards of youth football, and equally importantly, to make sure that African football 
is globally competitive. The overall prize money of the competition has been increased from $975,000 to $2.4 million, an increase of almost $1.5 million. The winner of this year's edition of the Women's African Cup of Nations 2022 will pocket $500,000, a 150% increase of $300,000. Previous winners of the competition received $200,000. In basketball news, the Malian national basketball team has been disqualified from the 2022 FIBA World Cup qualifiers after failing to show up for a second game in a row at the ongoing tournament in Kigali. On Friday, July 1st, they missed their opening game against Uganda and on Saturday, they missed the one against Nigeria despite having travelled to Kigali for the tournament. According to reports, the Malian players refuse to play because they haven't been paid their allowances by their local federation for some time. And that's it for Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, Jackson, in Washington. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. Until next time, I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington wishing you a great week ahead, Africa.